Well, welcome to summer 2018. I know some of you still have school, but I just, I don't, I refuse to acknowledge that. Uh, you, you don't have school after May. That's not fair. So feel free to take up my cause uh, on that. Uh, but welcome to summer 2018. My family, we, we have jumped in headfirst into summer. We've, we've done uh, just about everything that you could want to do uh, in, in summertime. We, we played in the sprinkler. We had popsicles outside. We had a lemonade stand that made $3.50. We, uh, well, next time, you guys are excited. Next time I'll have one, I'll make sure you know about it. You can come by. Uh, we've, we've done the lemonade stand. We've, uh, we've done all kinds of things. We've, we've had the stomach bug and an ear infection. All the things that you would want to have for summer 2018, uh, we have accomplished so far. Um, so, but we, we really, we probably hit full Olaf status about mid-spring, uh, wanting to just, we just really wish we could hit summer. Uh, we, we were so excited about summer coming that we, about mid-spring, we were done with homework. We didn't want to do that anymore. We were done waking up early for school. We didn't want to do that anymore. We, we just wanted to fast forward to summertime and, uh, and I know, I know that many of you would probably counsel me and you would say, well, you know, when you have, when, when you have your kids in the house, you don't want to fast forward anything because it goes so fast. And I, yes, and I agree with that counsel. I received that. I even gave that, uh, that counsel to my daughter the other day. Uh, she, she asked, what's the last grade? And that's a, comp, that, that's a complicated question, what's the last grade? Um, but I, I just told her it's 12th grade. Uh, and she wanted to know, well, I wish I could just fast forward to 12th grade. I'm like, well, no, you don't want to do that because think of all the things you'd miss, you know, all the friends you would make and all the sports you would play and all the, all the things that are fun about, about being a kid and growing up. You would miss all of that and, and fast forward to, to kind of being an, an adult. You don't want to do that. But really what I was thinking in my mind was actually a little more selfish than that because I was thinking if, if we fast forwarded to that, then I would miss out on all of the, the being a dad stuff that I love. Uh, I would miss all of that. Uh, and really, one of my favorite things about being a dad, one of my favorite things that I get to do is just hold my kid's hand. Uh, that, that's something that won't last forever, and so that's one of the things that I truly enjoy doing. And, and kids, uh, they, they hold their parents' hand for a variety of reasons. Uh, you, can, you can probably think about uh, those reasons. And, you know, it's real sweet when they just grab it just because. Um, th- those are few and far between, but that's, that's a sweet time. But, but really, if you think about it, um, a child grabs his father's hand in a moment of uncertainty, or a moment of fear, or in a moment when it seems like um, the task at hand is too difficult. Uh, my, my two-year-old, she's almost two, Clara, she, she's the one with the ear infection. And um, it's not bad, but it's, it's, um, it's enough to make her cranky and to make everyone else miserable. So, uh, so yesterday I took her out of the house away from everyone else, and we went to the park. But the park we went to was really not really for two-year-olds. It was for a little bit older kids. And so most of the stuff that was there, she couldn't do. Um, but there, were, there was one little slide that she could do, and the steps were, were right at that stage where she could do them, but it was a little much. And so what did she do when she got to a step that was too big? What did she do? She reached up her hand to grab mine because she just needed a little bit of help to get up the stairs. Right. I, I remember my my son, Charlie, he, he's about to be in third grade next year. But I remember when he started school, he, w- he was going to be in uh, the four year old preschool class. 
Um, and I, I remember when he started, the first day of school, we walked down the hallway, and when we got close to that door, what did he do? He reached up and he grabbed my hand. He also pulled me back because he didn't want to go in there. <laughs> but, but he reached up and he grabbed my hand. I remember one time we were having a birthday party at our house for one of our kids. I don't remember which one. And I, I watched this thing unfold. I was sitting on the couch looking out the window as some of the people were starting to show up for the party. And I watched this one kid. Uh, he got out of the car with his parents and he skipped up the sidewalk with a big grin on his face, excited for the party. Um, they knock on the door, but then somebody that the kid didn't recognize opened the door and welcomed them to the party. But he, he didn't know them. And so what happened, that kid, um, the grin fell off of his face. He stopped skipping. And then what did he do? He reached up and he grabbed his dad's hand. And there are moments of uncertainty or fear. There are times when it's just good to have dad around. There are times when we just need dad nearby or to at least know that he's there. And that's really what we find in the book of Joshua this morning. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Joshua chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And what we find is that the people of Israel have a centuries-old promise from God that the land of Canaan would belong to them. And God has rescued them from Egypt. He's walked them through the desert. They're prepared for the task at hand. And they're about to go to war. And as far as they can tell, that, that task seems too big for them. Like coming up to a step on the playground that seems a little too big, they're just looking for the hand of their father. So at this point in the story, Moses has died, Joshua is now in charge, and they're going to war. The first city they come to is the city of Jericho. It's a mighty fortified city, massive walls. The people of Jericho are strong in battle. It's going to be difficult. So right before the battle, Joshua takes a little trip away. He gets away from the camp, and he wants to go put his eyes on Jericho. And that's what we find in Joshua chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Look with me at what happens. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. So we'll pause there. Joshua, uh, Joshua is checking out the city of Jericho, but this is not the first time that he'd been there. Uh, because if you remember the story of the Bible, what's taken place is that when the people of Israel were in the desert, God sent some spies. Uh, God told Moses, send some spies out into the land. And so Moses sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan to go and check out what's going on. 12 spies. 10 of those spies came back and said, we can't do this. The cities are fortified. The people are massive. They're mighty in battle. They're, they're giants. We can't do this. But two of the spies came back and said, no, we can do this. If the Lord is on our side, we can do this. Those two spies were named Joshua, the same one that we're talking about here, and Caleb. We can do this. And, and one of the things they said in the book of Numbers was, do not sin against the Lord by being afraid. Well, the people of Israel, they didn't, they didn't believe Joshua and Caleb. They listened to the ten spies that, that said, we can't do this. 
And so that's why the people of Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness because of their disbelief. But now Joshua has returned to Jericho. He'd already, he'd already laid eyes on the city. Now he's here again, and, and maybe he's reflecting on, on what he'd seen 40 years prior to this, or, or maybe he's plotting out how they might go about this battle. But he's by himself outside the city, and he looks up, and there's a man standing there. Now that's cause for concern for two reasons. One, that's cause for concern because um, if we were to keep reading in, in Joshua chapter 6, we would see that the city of Jericho is shut up so that nobody can go out and nobody can come in. Joshua is in no man's land. No one should be there. But he sees a man standing there. That's cause for concern. A second reason why that's cause for concern is we see what the man is doing. He has his sword drawn. You don't get your sword out unless you're ready for battle. You're ready for some kind of military action. It's like he's got the safety off his gun and he's ready to fire. And so this is cause for concern and it prompts a response from Joshua. Look at the rest of verse 13 with me. It says, Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Now, we're going to do a little bit of math. I know I told you it was summer. I'm so sorry. We're going to do a little bit of math, okay? Now, if you did a little bit of study and research, you would find out that Joshua and Caleb were about 40 years old when they went to go be spies. Moses sent them out to be spies, 40, 40 years old. Well, then God has the people of Israel wander in the desert for 40 years. And now they're ready to attack Jericho. So he's 40, and you add 40, about how old is Joshua? Look at you guys. You haven't turned the brains off yet. We're good. All right? So, so I don't know if that changes the story in your mind at all a little bit. That Joshua is like an 80-year-old man. And I want you to notice his response. It's actually very surprising. It says that he went up to the man. He went to the person who's standing there with a the sword drawn. In other words, In other words, he gets in his face. He doesn't just call the question out across the the area to the where the guy's standing he goes up to him he gets in his face and he asks the question are you for us or are you for our adversaries he gets in his face and he says are you for us or for them and the sense in which he asks this question is you better be on our side because we're about to win and things will go poorly for you if you're on their side and that that's the question that Joshua asks, he is no coward, but I, I want you to see how the man responds. Look with me in verse 14. And he said, no. <laughs> he didn't answer the question, right? It wasn't a yes or no question. Are you for us or are you for them? No. Uh, what the commander is saying is wrong question. This is the wrong question. It's not a matter of whose side I'm on. Why? If we continue to read his response in verse 14, he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. He says, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. And now I, I want to talk to you for a second. Now, up to this point in the story, we know this is some kind of divine being, but we don't know all the information about him. We'll see in a second. 
But Joshua has asked him, are you for us or are you for them? He says, no. I know some of your Bible translations say neither. That's not the word that's there. They're, they're trying to help you understand. But what the word that's there is no. Wrong question. I'm for the Lord. I'm on God's side. I'm about God's purposes. I haven't come to take sides. I've come to take charge. But that's how we approach God sometimes, isn't it? Like we have our agenda. We have our needs. We have our plans that we have crafted. And we come before God and we say, here it is, God. Here's what I've got for you. Are you for me or are you for them? Well, God's answer to us, when we approach God that way, God's answer to us is no. Wrong question. None of the above. I'm on my side and you'd better be on my side too. See, he's the God of the universe. If you think about this for a second, he's the God of the universe. He created all that exists. And the Bible says that he holds all that exists together by the words of his mouth. I can't do anything by the words of my mouth. I can't get my kids to clean their rooms by the words of my mouth. And yet God holds all that exists together by the words of his mouth. And we come to this omnipotent, sovereign, powerful God, and we come to him and we ask him to be our assistant. Oh, that's ridiculous. That's not the way that this works. He hasn't come to be the assistant. He's come to take charge. The question isn't whose side is he on. The question is whose side are we on? And I want you to look at Joshua's response to this revelation at the end of verse 14. It says, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant?" See, Joshua falls down and submits to the authority of this person standing in front of him. And really what he's saying is, I'm not the commander. You're the commander. Command me. That's really what he's saying there. And Joshua's response gives us some key information about who Joshua thought this man was. It says that Joshua fell down and worshipped. Why in the world would Joshua do that unless he came to realize that the person standing in front of him was none other than God himself? That God himself had come to stand before him and to speak to him. And so Joshua falls down on his face in worship. See, Joshua had seen this before. Joshua's mentor was Moses. And Moses one day was wandering in the desert and And uh, he comes across a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And from the midst of the flames, God speaks to him and says, Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Moses spoke to God that day. Joshua's great, 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 great grandfather was a guy by the name of Jacob. And one day he was in the wilderness and he got into a wrestling match with God. Jacob spoke to God that day. See, Joshua had seen this before. He'd seen it in his family, he'd seen it with his mentor, and now he was having his own burning bush experience. He was having his own wrestling match with God. And so he falls down on his face to worship, and he says, command me. And let's look in verse 15, and we'll see how the man responds. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. 
See, verse 15 lets us know that Joshua was right in assuming that the person in front of him was God himself. Joshua falls down to worship, and the commander of the Lord's army receives that worship. You're right to worship me. And what we know from Scripture is that angels do not receive worship. If you were to look in the book of Revelation, you would see the apostle John falls down to worship an angel, and the angel gets upset and says, get up. Don't worship me. Don't worship created beings. Only worship God. Angels do not receive worship, but we see here at the end of Joshua chapter 5 that the commander of the army of the Lord receives Joshua's worship and even deepens that worship. He says, yep, you're right to worship me. Take off your shoes. This ground is holy. God is standing before him. And that's really how this interaction ends. And this is kind of a weird little story if you think about it because everything so far has been preparation for war. And then if you look in Joshua chapter 6, that's the battle of Jericho. What is this little interaction doing tucked in right here? It doesn't really resolve. It just kind of, that's the way it ends. I believe that God is telling Joshua, I'm with you. Jericho looks big. The battle is too big for you, but I'm with you. Don't, don't worry. I have a purpose. I have a plan. And I will see to it that it's accomplished. You see, the plan of God is never accomplished without the presence of God. God has big plans for the people of Israel. There are going to be some incredible things that happen. And they're going to display His majesty and His glory. But in order for all of those things to come to pass, God has to be with them. Moses is told the same thing in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 3, God speaks to Moses from the midst of the burning bush. And he says, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Well, Moses, he answers this way. He says, why me? Who am I? They won't listen to me. And God's response in Exodus chapter 3 is really interesting. God doesn't pat him on the back and say, oh, come on, Moses, you're really important. I'm sure they'll listen to you. God responds, yeah, but I'll be with you. That's God's response. So the people of Israel, they they are rescued out of Egypt and they go to, to Mount Sinai. And that's where they get the Ten Commandments. But after a time there, God says, okay, time to leave Mount Sinai. You're going to go take the promised land now. And Moses says, I don't think so. I don't think we can leave this place. And God says, I'll go with you. And Moses, in Exodus 33, he says this. He goes, if your presence stays here, we don't want to go. See, that, that's, that's the principle. That's the principle there. If your presence won't go with me, then we don't want to go. That's the comfort that God gives to Moses and now to Joshua. I'll go with you. I'll, I'll hold your hand. I'm right here. Don't be afraid. I think that's the point of this story. A father holding a son's hand. So for us then, what what does that mean? It means that God's plan for our lives will not be accomplished without His presence in our lives. And the presence of God is a promise for the people of God. See, the presence of God is a surety. It is certain. Now, there are some promises in the Old Testament that are only for the covenant people of Israel. And there are some promises in the Old Testament that are intended for us as well. 
And Bible scholars and theologians can sit down and and hash out why some promises are this and why some promises are that. You could kind of do that. But but one surefire way to know if a promise in the Old Testament applies to me is if that promise is echoed in the New Testament. And you don't have to read the New Testament very far to get to Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, he's resurrected from the dead. He's kind of giving them some last things. And what he tells them is, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we find that the promise of the presence of God for the people of God is true. It's for you and me. God's presence in your life is certain. He will be with you even to the end of the age. He was with Moses when he went and stood before Pharaoh. And he was with Joshua as he faces down Jericho. And Jesus promises us the same. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So if that's true, that he'll be with us, and that's a promise to us if we're the people of God, then there are three ways that I think we need to respond this morning. Number one. The presence of God in our lives evokes obedience. The presence of God in our lives evokes obedience. Joshua meets with the commander of the army of the Lord and he asks him, whose side are you on? And the commander says, no. And Joshua responds, I've made a huge mistake. Command me. Tell me what to do. And I'll do it. See, when we come to grips with the fact that the God of the universe is here and he wants to be in covenant relationship with us, we are faced with the question, whose side are you on? The commander of the army of the Lord says to us through the scripture, are you for me or are you for my enemies? Whose side are you on? Now, if we wanted to be honest with one another, I think we can do that. It's just us here in this room. Uh, I think sometimes we just really like to call the shots in our own lives. We, We want God to be our assistant. We want him to come to our aid when we get in trouble or there's something that we can't accomplish on our own or we just need a little boost. But what we find here in the scripture is that he has not come to choose sides. He has come to take charge. We are not the commander of our lives. He is. We really don't command anything. But we like to convince ourselves that we do. We want God's presence in our lives, but we also want to pick and choose what He's allowed to tell us to do. We want His blessing, but we don't want His Lordship. And that doesn't really work with God. You can't have Jesus as Savior, but not your Lord, any more than you can have Brett without McDonald. That's my name in case you were wondering. See, you can't invite Brett over to your house for dinner, but ask McDonald to wait outside in the car. That doesn't make any sense at all. Some of you are like, what, what are you talking about? That makes no sense. Exactly. That makes no sense. That's who I am. But we try to do that with the Lord Jesus all the time. 
We want him to be our savior. Yes, we want his blessing. But now he's going to try to tell me what to do. I don't want that part. See, that makes no sense. We, we like to tell God what he's allowed to be in charge of, but that makes no sense. And it doesn't work with him. Because with the presence of God comes obedience to God. And so when Joshua faced down the commander of the army of the Lord, he responded with, command me. Is that, is that your response? The presence of God in our lives evokes obedience. Second, the presence of God in our lives excludes fear and anxiety. I really think that's one of the purposes of this story here in the text. See, the temptation was for the people of Israel uh, to be afraid. That the task before them was too big. And when something seems too big, that causes fear and anxiety. But remember what Joshua and Caleb said? Originally, when they were spies and they came back to talk to to Moses and the people of Israel. They said, we can do it. But then what they said was, do not sin against God by being afraid. That, That tells me that fear and anxiety isn't just like a little quirk that some of us have. That tells me that fear and anxiety is sinful. Because when we are afraid or when we're so anxious about the way something's going to turn out, we are doubting that God is in control or that he's good or that he loves us. But the commander of the army of the Lord says to Joshua, do not be afraid. I am with you. And I think this morning in a room like this, that's got to be for somebody today we somebody here just needs our father to stand beside us and hold out his hand and offer it we we need the commander of the army of the lord to tell us don't be afraid one time jesus and his disciples went out in a boat and they were out on the lake and a storm comes out of nowhere and you can tell that this is a dangerous storm because the disciples are afraid Uh, Some of them were fishermen, and they were were well aware of what's a dangerous situation and what's not a dangerous situation. Well, they find out that this is a dangerous situation. They think they're going to die. And so they go down, and they find Jesus below deck, and Jesus is asleep. So they wake up Jesus, and, and how does Jesus respond? He does that. I do that when I wake up. I don't know. He does that. He stands up. He looks at them, and he says, you have little faith. He stands up on the boat. He calls out to the wind and to the waves. He says, peace be still. And the Bible says that the wind and the waves stopped at that moment. They stopped at that moment. You see, they had heard that voice before when that voice spoke them into being. And and the disciples, it says they were afraid for a different reason at that point. Who then is this that the wind and the waves obey him? Can I tell you this morning that the wind and the waves still obey him? And your life may seem like it's out of control. Your life may seem like it's kind of unraveling. Maybe it's the result of choices that you have made and it can't be undone. Or maybe it's the result of choices that other people have made and it has affected you. Or maybe it's one of those things about life where a lot of things happen and it's nobody's fault, but now we're in this situation. But maybe there's somebody in the room this morning that would describe their life as like, I'm in a boat and there's a storm. Danger, chaos, 
uncertainty, out of control. You can't see your way out. I wonder if that describes anyone's circumstances. That some of us are walking through life right now in the shadows of Jericho. A big, ugly struggle standing in your way and we're stuck looking at something that seems unbeatable. This morning, hear the promise of Jesus. I will be with you to the end of the age, he says. I will be with you to the end of the age. Even if it feels like the world is coming to an end, here I am right beside you. And not only is he here, listen, he's the commander of the army of the Lord. He's the captain of the ship. He's the commander of the wind and the waves. There is nothing of which he is not in charge. And so, child of God, there is nothing of which to be afraid. The presence of God in our lives excludes fear and anxiety. Third, the presence of God in our lives elicits hope. It elicits hope. It brings about hope. The commander of the army of the Lord shows up to Joshua just before they're going to go into battle. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. There's no need to be afraid. There's no need to doubt the outcome. I'm with you. What I have promised will come to pass. But for some of you this morning, you you stand there and Jericho is right in front of you. And it's formidable. And we do not minimize the difficulty that is before you. It is a difficult foe. But God makes promises to us. He promises, I'm here, I'm with you. But what I want you to do is I want you to notice what the promise is not. The promise is not that you get to skip Jericho. The commander of the army of the Lord doesn't sit down and draw a map For Joshua in the dirt and show him how to go around the city. He doesn't get to fast forward to the easy part. The plan is to attack Jericho head on. And the the same may be true for us this morning. Of course, God can do anything he wants. If he wants to tell uh, the wind and the waves in your life, peace be still. He can do that. But what if God's plan for pain in your life isn't for you to skip it. What if God's plan for the Jerichos in your life is for you to walk right up to them, even though it seems like they've got a sword drawn? To walk right up to them and experience the battle, to experience the struggle. The promise isn't for you to skip it. The, The promise is that He'll be with you. And we think about the difficulties in our lives, and some of us have had more than others, and some of us have had worse ones than others. We've all had different experiences, different versions of Jericho. And the temptation for us is to not only to be afraid, the temptation is for us to be bitter and hopeless. Why me? Why is this happening to me? Why not somebody else? It's not fair. I don't know if you've felt that before, but what is God's answer to that? What is, what is God's answer to that? Why me? God's answer is his presence. I don't think you heard me. God's answer is the incarnation of the Son of God. 
See, God is not an outsider to pain and suffering. He doesn't watch from afar and say, I'm sorry that you felt that. See, he felt it too. The Son of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. That means that he experienced broken relationships and betrayal and physical pain and anguish, the loss of loved ones, temptation. The Savior suffered. The Savior struggled. And so when you call out to God and you say, it hurts, God says, I know. And not with a knowledge that's just a head knowledge. But with a knowledge that comes from experience. And that can protect us from bitterness and hopelessness. I'm I'm talking to you. Yes, I'm talking to you. That thing that you're going through, when we talk about Jericho and it comes into your mind, that, that thing you're walking in right now, you, Jesus knows. He sees, He hears you, but He knows. And He's with you. That's, that's the promise. This morning I want to let you in on a little secret. We've established that the promise is for the presence of God to be with the people of God, even though you walk in the shadow of Jericho. But here's a secret. There's another promise. It's not just that his presence will be with you. The promise is that he's going to fix it. See, the world is broken. It doesn't function the way that it should. There should not be Jerichos in your life. Divorce shouldn't happen. Lies shouldn't be told. People shouldn't get sick. Death wasn't supposed to be a thing. But the world is broken, and now there are Jerichos that are popping up and looming over us. Brokenness, difficulty, sin, lies, unforgiveness, bitterness, death, loss. The commander of the army of the Lord is going to fix it. That's the promise. If you've got fast hands, you can turn to Revelation 19. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. Revelation 19 says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of lords the apostle john was writing this book of revelation and there's a lot that's hidden from our eyes Um, but this is called an apocalypse and what that word means is it means a revealing and so there are small details that are are uh the specifics that are hidden from our eyes but the overall point of what john is saying is revealed to us that one day the lord jesus will return 
He came the first time in weakness as a little baby born in a manger in the middle of nowhere, but he's coming again in a very different way. He's not coming as a helpless baby, but as a rider on a white horse, one who comes to judge and make war. His eyes are a flame of fire. He's wearing a crown. And how menacing is this? He wears a robe that's dipped in blood. And in verse 14, it says that the armies of heaven are following him. Why? Because he is the commander of the armies of the Lord. The same commander that stood face to face with Joshua outside Jericho is the same commander one day that will come in on a white horse. And he's going to defeat sin and death and Satan. If we just read the rest of Revelation, you would see in the next chapter that Satan is ultimately defeated, that evil is no more. And then if we keep reading into Revelation chapter 21, what we would see is that God is making a new heaven and a new earth. And there's no more crying or pain. Death shall be no more. No more mourning. It's all gone. Why? Because God says, behold. I'm making all things new. The commander of the army of the Lord is coming, and he's going to make all things right. As Tolkien put it, he's going to make everything that's sad come untrue. There's a new heaven. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And there's no more crying or pain or struggle. Cancer doesn't exist. Relationships don't end. Strength is restored to our failing bodies. And there's no more need for the promise of God. I'll be with you in your struggle. There is no more struggle. And in Revelation 21, God says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And it will be that way forever. God promises His presence to the people of God. That's a promise for now. And that's a promise for that day when He comes to make everything that's sad come untrue. He will be with us forever. And our souls will find ultimate rest in Him. And so the promise of God is that the presence of God will be with the people of God. And that That's not a promise to help you skip trouble or to fast forward through difficulty so you don't have to experience it. But he does promise, I'll hold your hand. And when we realize that he promises to be with us, that evokes obedience from us. It excludes fear and anxiety and it elicits hope. And so how does that fall out for you this morning? And what areas do you need to obey? In what areas are you giving God a, a, I need you to be with me or against me? Or, or is there some areas where you just need to say, command me? I'm not in charge, you are. Maybe one area you need to obey is to follow his command, fear not. Or be anxious for nothing. Or maybe this morning what you need is just to stop up a little bit of hope. That the commander of the army of the Lord is with you. He promises to be with you. And he promises to fix it. Maybe now, but for sure on that day. The question is then, how will you respond this morning? 
When we hear God's word, we have to respond. And so how will you respond this morning? We're going to have the prayer team and elders up here. You can come and receive prayer from somebody. Or you can come pray by yourself or with your family or with a friend up at the steps. Or you can sit down and do business with the Lord at your seat. Or you can stand up and sing. We have the Lord's Supper over here if you wanted that communion with the Savior. But there are ways that you can respond in here. But what is not acceptable is to ignore the Word of God. So let's all stand together. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come forward. And we're going to respond to the Word of God.